I have to ask Montel how many times the podcast host is saying, this is how we do it, right? And jammed out in front of him. <laughs> it's kind of funny to be with the artist and, and share your passion for their groove and their music. But really, truly, there is a deeper connect in this conversation because it's not about this is how we do anything. It's about this is how he does everything. And God has such a play in this storyline of best-selling album to best-selling marriage and the connection between the two. And he's ultimately selling his love, showing his love and giving it freely. And it's not just in his own marriage. It's in their ministry. It's in their legacy. It's in their families. It's in their entrepreneurial visions. It's in so much of how they show up in the world. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that this podcast is going to bless you from the inside out. And so just Give him a round of applause, tag him, show up for him, leave a review for this specific episode. It would mean the world to the Fit and Faith community. Honored to have you all here and excited to hear your feedback from Montel Jordan. Welcome to the Fit and Faith podcast. Fit is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie-cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, my desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Hey, 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 you are live and in action with the one and only Montel Jordan. Thanks for being here, brother. I'm glad to be here with you, my sis. I hope all is well with you and excited to be uh, here with Fit and Faith. Yeah, come on. So Fit and Faith, uh, you may not know, stands for Founders, Innovators, and Trailblazers. That's what Fit stands for. And I believe you and your wife, Kristen, have been doing that for quite a season, right? And I'm sure you yeah. can go to the way far backstory. Um, but let's get started in with where everybody kind of your claim to fame. And then we'll actually take a back step to uh, your childhood and how it got to be where it was at that point. So tell us about this is how we do it. <laughs> ah, that was well done. That was well done. Uh, well, you know, This Is How We Do It was my very first uh, song. It was an introduction to the music industry. Uh, it was a, a first number one record. My very first song was my very first number one record. Um, it was the record label, Def Jam Records' very first number one R&B record. Uh, and so it was a lot of firsts that came along uh, with that song. It was a, an introduction to the music business that was really getting thrown into the deep end, uh, if you will. And so uh, the song was, you know, people have asked, um, where, how did the song, was it created or did I know it was a hit when I created it? And the only thing I can say uh, to that uh, is that I knew long before the song was ever created or recorded uh, that the original song, it was sampled from an artist by the name of Slick Rick, a song called Children's Story. And so I knew back then when I was in college 
that that song was a smash hit record. And I said, if I ever got an opportunity to be in the music business, I was going to sing over that record and believe that we could make it into a classic if someone actually sang over that hip hop record. And so that's how that happened many years before the song ever existed. I always said, if I ever sing over that record, if I could ever get a chance to get into business, I'm going to sing over that record. And so the rest is history with that. I love that. I love that you knew it so early, right? And you were just like, I'm gunning for it. How long from that time where you're like, this is going to be a hit, this could be a hit, this one day will be a hit, to the time that it actually hit? Definitely a decade. I, wow. I would imagine that, uh, you know, with me being in, uh, coming out of high school in 1986, uh, doing college from 86 to 91, those were the years that during college, I was also trying to get into the music business. You know, that that whole idea of overnight success, uh, my overnight success, uh, I wasn't overnight success, but it took me 10 years of overnights before I got to the morning when I woke up and was an overnight success. So See, that's really, the true story of the trailblazer, right? <laughs> that's, that's how it is. And so I literally, it was a good decade of me hearing that song and knowing that song was something special but waiting for the right time for it to actually be introduced to the world and, and to myself, really. So were you in pursuit of the music industry for that 10 years in that time frame? Uh, I was doing a bunch of stuff at the time. It was uh, gr uh, going to college, graduated from college, working in advertising, preparing to go to law school. Uh, I had a lot of plan Bs, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I, I think I got to the place of where I said, okay, I want to do this and there is no no real plan B. Even if I said even if this doesn't work, I'll I'll try I'll go back to law I'll go to law school and I'll do X Y and Z, but I really purposed in my heart uh, there's there's going to be no plan B to this. I'm going to do this and when I purposed that, you know, in my heart uh and put that before God, I think that was when it was like, okay, you're going to do this or nothing is going to get done. And so that's when I went head first into it and, and everything started to materialize. And your wife was your manager at this point? At that time, before the record deal and everything, she was just my girlfriend. Okay. Uh, she loaned me the money to go to New York City to meet Russell Simmons that eventually got me the record deal. Uh, and so we knew that going into the business, uh, I wanted her to manage me and I wanted her to be my wife. And so we took care of both of those things before I got into the music business. So she became manager and wife uh, right about the same time. Wow. And I'm so curious because obviously you guys went full bore after a number one hit song into the music industry and inspiring people in all the realms and, and curious from working so closely, how was that uh, handled in that season? That was uh, that was very challenging, you know, to be to be honest. And, and she'll tell you as well that we were really, really good at business. We were good at music and creativity and artistry and uh, and building companies and relationships. Uh, we sucked at marriage. Uh, we, we were not good at being married, at being submitted to each other, at being anything that had to do with marriage for us was really the thing that we knew. Okay, before we do this this music business thing, we got to be married because nobody that gets, gets into this business, if they're not married, they're just not going to make it. So not even understanding covenant fully, we just knew for whatever reason, we have to be married before we get in. And so we got married 
And then literally we went on our honeymoon. We came back. And then a week later, we were in the studio mashing out the album in 1994 uh, and then released it uh, in uh, early 1995. And so uh, long story short, we were terrible at being married for many years, uh, but we were really, really good at business because we had put that first. Yeah. And, and I think as entrepreneurial brains, right, that tends to be how it is. And I think that God positions us with people who have that, not necessarily that both in the, in the marriage or the couple are entrepreneurs, um, but they can support one another in that, right? Strengths versus weaknesses and how that looks, that equal yoke is really important. My husband and I are both entrepreneurs, which is why I asked, um, because it's easy to go run after the thing that you're really good at. And it's hard to slow down and put that as the forefront, which is what you guys exactly did and realize actually this is where the premise of the foundation of any success, any growth, any opportunity really exists from the home and the heart and the head, the mental health side before we can ever go out and serve. So was there an aha moment that shifted you into the place that you're in now? And maybe all of the listeners don't even know what that place is now. So talk us through the evolution of where you are. Yeah, well, the the aha moment uh, that I think was the big turning point from from where we were then in our married life into where we are now, uh, the the aha moment was called adultery. That that was the the aha moment, and it was more like ah <laughs> ah, you know, and and and, and so you know, I, I you know, I laugh about it now. We can laugh about it now, oh, yeah. but. Um, it's, it's not a laughing matter because people have been through it. People may be watching this right now going through it. Uh, and, and that was a, a difficult journey. It was a journey of because we didn't put our marriage first and we put our business first. Um, the other things that should have been prioritized basically, uh, fell apart. Uh, and so we were living kind of this house of cards where we had great, uh, musical relationships and hit records and fame and things that were, uh, counterfeit success um, and no real significance to undergird us. And so that aha moment was I was living a lie. I, I was uh, a, a man who uh, suffered with loneliness. I suffered with uh, uh, of not uh, having a Holy Spirit. I, I suffered of professing that I love the Lord in, in word and my heart was far from the Lord and, and understanding the music business, my wife and I were still seen as probably some of the most spiritual people in the business. The business is a very, very dark business. And so, uh, you know, I thought that we had control of a lot of things in the business and really the business had control over us. And so I wasn't like a, a serial, uh, adulterer where I was out there just trying to be grimy and hide it. I was the repentive. I would fall little by little. And so that trap, you know, a friend once explained it to me as a spider web. It's kind of like the more you move in it, the more you get entangled in it. Uh, and that's how it started. It started out with just small, you know, extra, extra flirtation or extra smiles or extra conversations that became, okay, well, maybe we'll meet after for coffee or maybe we'll just have dinner, but nothing else. Or, or maybe we'll go to a movie and nothing else. And so you're talking years and years and years of inching and inching closer and closer to that, that line. You know, you have to draw a line in the concrete, you know, because when you draw a line in the sand, when that water washes over it, people can really move that line back and forth. And so it was a series of progressions, not of major 
sin, but minor tiny sin that led to more and more and more. Okay, well, maybe I can just hold your hand or maybe I can this. And because we didn't put our marriage first, we weren't intimate on a regular basis with each other. We weren't taking care of each other emotionally and spiritually and sexually, all of those things. We were good business partners. We were roommates and and housemates. We were not a good married couple. And so uh, we neglected each other. I would fall uh, and then I would come back to Jesus and be like, Lord, what is wrong with me? Help me, you know, save me, fix me, and then forgive me. And he'd forgive me. And then I'm good for like a month. And then I'd fall back and fall back years and years and years. of it. And so the aha moment came where some friends that had been with us throughout many, many years, we were planning a vacation and the friend came forward and said, hey, uh, to my wife, we're not going on vacation. Uh, and my wife was like, why? We, we do this all the time. Why are we not going on vacation? And she was like, I'll let Montel tell you, you know? And so uh, she put me on the phone with a very, very good friend. We're still very good friends to this day. Uh, but she, she put me on the phone with a friend and the friend said, uh, if you don't tell her, I will. And that was the aha moment. And that aha was if I tell my wife, I can lose everything and have to split everything and I can keep my life. If she finds out another way, I die pretty much, you know? And and that was my thought. I, I thought I would probably end up uh, dead if my wife found out something that was that devastating to her. And so I told her and that was the aha moment for us. And then in that, uh, through the, she legitimately could have left. She legitimately could have divorced. She had grounds to do it. She had pro- everything that she needed to do to walk away with half of everything. She could have done that. Uh, and the thing that she did differently that most women would want to speak with her about and most men that want to know, why did you stay? How did you stay? Why did you stay? Uh, and she would tell you that uh, God told her that her life and our daughter's life, who was four years old at the time, depended on her staying. Uh, God told her that she didn't have to trust me, but she could trust God in me. Uh, And also told her, why would you leave and take half when you can stay and have it all? And so in all of those things, she allowed God to then do the work in me to change me and transform me into a godly man that could be trusted, that did have the Holy Spirit as accountability to lean into. Uh, And when I got the Holy Spirit, when I received Holy Spirit, that changed everything for me. It changed the trajectory of our family. It changed our legacy. It changed everything. And so I think that for me was the the pivotal moment that led us from there to where we are now that as a, as a man who knows that outside of Holy Spirit, outside of God, uh, Yahweh, the father, outside of Jesus, the son, outside of those pieces, keeping me and sustaining me, I, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. That's what my, my pastor Dennis Riles would say. I, I, I'm nothing without those things. And that was the journey uh, that came about from me being exposed uh, in my deepest sin. Yeah, and I can relate to so much of that story on both sides, actually. Um, and so it's a it's a hard place to sit. It's a really dark place to sit. 
Um, I'm curious if you had any like suicidal ideation in that concept of I could die if I did this. Uh, I ne- I never had that. I-, I think I had. It wasn't a uh, suicidal. It was uh, murder. I thought my wife would kill me. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't. A, I, oh yeah, it, it was. It was. If you know, right right after my wife found out when I, when I told her, immediately she left the house. Yeah. Like she immediately just got in a car and left the house because she knew that if she stayed, she would probably impulsively do something that she would never be able to to live down or take back, and so. That led to her going to confront the people who are around us, who shielded us and who kept silent. And then looking into the cocoon that we had built, this facade of relationship of people that we loved and that loved us, but that were reliant on us financially for livelihood, that if this thing, if this house of cards falls down, this is our lives too. So we need to insulate the whole thing. I had enablers that you know, allowed my indiscretions to just kind of, you know, be, okay, well, this is, I guess, just how this goes. I'm going to stay silent so that, you know, nobody caught me to the mat. Nobody caught me to the floor on it because it was, a, you know, you potentially, we built that shaky foundation of people and relationships to sustain, uh, you know, sin and to sustain our frailties as, you know, as humans. Yeah. And so there's a, there was a word you said at the very forefront of how you were sharing and it was this word submit, um, submission, right? And a lot of people have a really hard time, especially in marriage or female to male relationships to even consider something like that, whether it's based in trauma, whether it's based in, you know, secular world vision of what submission looks like. And we know that submission first starts with the whole, with God, with himself. And to be able to submit, surrender, release, uh, repent, Mm -hmm. any of these words, right? They're all similar. Uh, I always call them the white flag moments of people's lives. When they are Mm -hmm. like on the side of the road, cars broken down, they're like, I got nowhere to go. And I'm willing to get in the boat with a stranger. I'm willing to have anybody pull over to help support this situation. And Jesus is always literally standing right there. The moment instantaneously that that happens, he's ready. But we have to not have like the, maybe this is just for a forgiveness moment. Like you said, I ran back, I forgave, he forgave. And I was like a month later back in that space. It's that Holy Spirit moment um, versus that religion moment, right? That relationship exchange versus just, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know this is what God says. This is what the Bible says. I'm supposed to be forgiven. He forgives. And now I can live in sin still again, because he'll always let me run back to the altar. Talk Mm -hmm. to me about what submission means to you in your marriage, and also how you had to submit your career or what you thought was your career at that point. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. I think submission for me is maybe probably I don't know if it's possible to be have more depth to it than what it means for me, but uh, I wasn't at the time. I wasn't submitted to God. I wasn't submitted to my wife. My wife wasn't submitted to me. So you had a bunch of people who all wanted to lead. We all wanted to be in control. And then because I'm the artist and she's the manager, then it's is the artist really telling the manager what to do for everybody else to do it, or is the manager really telling the artist? what to do to get the desired results. And then when we leave manager and artist and then go home, who's the husband and wife and who submit? Uh, There was no submission. Yeah, so many layers. 
no submission anywhere in our, in our relationship. And once again, it was harder for her to submit to me as a wife because I wasn't submitted to God. And I think any woman uh, has a challenge submitting to the headship of a, of a, of a husband uh, um, when the husband is not submitted first uh, to God. And so the way I viewed submission and come to view submission uh, was through one of my favorite uh, older pastimes, which was watching uh, WWE wrestling. Um, and uh, famous, famous wrestlers, and I loved wrestling, you know, for years and years and years, still do. Uh, and in wrestling, they have something called a submission hold. Uh, and a submission hold, if, if you're not aware of that, uh, is when you get yourself in a compromising position with your opponent. Uh, the compromising position is a place to where something is going to get broken if you don't tap out. It's when I was a kid, if your your cousin bent your hand back and said, say uncle, say uncle, yeah, exactly. and you didn't want to say uncle, but you understood if I don't say uncle, I will really get my hand broken. Uh, and so the, the submission is when something is bent or it's out of shape or it's compromised in the position of being broken. The person in UFC or in the in the fights, if they get in that in that look in that place, you have to you have to tap out. Even at your last breath, you 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 tap out because it's the last thing your body is involuntarily able to do. And tapping out signifies don't break it, but now you can be released from it. And so uh, that for me was with my marriage. Uh, I had to tap out with with sin. Uh, I had to tap out with all of those different places in my life. I eventually had to submit to God because I was in compromising positions uh, that could have been broken beyond repair had I not had I not tapped out. And so I think the beauty of submission uh, is that once you submit, there's a safety that comes from the submission, a safety that, okay, God, I'm going to yield this to you. And even though I'm submitting that now, there's a safety in that, that my wife can then say, I submit to you. I can say, I submit, you know, to my, to my wife. Uh, those are things that we found safety in, uh, that things didn't have to get broken. And let me just tag this last little piece on. Um, when it came to my music career, uh, it was beyond submission. That was actual sacrifice. Uh, and I submitted the career to God, finally saying, okay, God, I'm going to give this to you. What do you want to do with it? And then God says, I want you to kill it. And so I had a real Abraham moment where God didn't take my career and, and kill it. God made me take my career, my one and only son and take it, you know, up on the altar and strap it down to the altar with no, no ram in the bush and raise up the knife and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to kill this. I'll, I'll kill it. And me waiting for God to give the ram in the bush. And there was no ram in the bush. Uh, I had to kill my career. Uh, and I think the beautiful thing about even the death of a career was I submitted it to the hands of the only God who ever rose from the grave. He's the only one that ever resurrected anything. And so even though I had to kill it, 
I'm now living in a place of a resurrected marriage. I'm living in a place of resurrected music, of resurrected creativity, because I was willing to go through with it. Um, it, it was not an Abraham moment for me. It wasn't a, I'm about to kill it. And then God said, no, 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 I got something. No, I had yeah. to kill it. And my career yeah. died for several years. And so you got now uh, Tamara and Lazarus uh, together uh, on, on Fit and Faith on. because I'm, I'm a, I was dead. My marriage was dead. My career was dead. My life was dead. And God was gracious enough because I submitted it that life to him to resurrect it and then allow me to now go back around the same people that said they can look at me and say, is that, is that the same guy that, that we know died? Is that the, this is how we do it? I thought he was dead. I thought he was gone. Uh, and, and now be living a life, a submitted life where, where uh, I'm, I'm resurrected. It's so good. Uh, and this is going to get really confusing for the the audience. And so hopefully they can pick up just based on the variation of our voice. But Lazarus, meet Lazarus. Yes. <laughs> nice to meet you, brother. Okay. Nice to meet you. Lazarus. <laughs> We're yes. out of the grave, right? And, and this yeah. is what's so incredible is that resurrection and that restoration. It was actually in multiplication because it mm. wasn't just the one thing that he resurrected in our lives. It was so much more than that. Uh, you now have five kiddos, correct? And and a grandbabies. So it's like there is multiplication. There is generational bondage that has been broken. There is so much seed and harvest that is coming out of the obedience and commitment and sacrifice. Yeah. And, and, I, and I love that the counterfeit lifestyle that I thought I had, uh, God gave me like, such an amazing, I can't even, I don't even have the word for it. It's just when I think of what I thought I had, it was a counterfeit lifestyle. It was counterfeit money. It was counterfeit fame. Everything that I was living, counterfeit love, counterfeit relationships, none of it was real. Uh, and now I, I I have our four kids and my, my uh, well, now kind of six because both of my oldest kids are both married now. Uh, so I got, you know, six kids now, and then I've got three grandsons now, like that's legacy, man. That That's legacy that all of this could have been stopped way back when it was just my wife and a four-year-old daughter. Uh, before I said yes to Holy Spirit, before I said yes to God, you know, really coming in and doing what he was going to do. And so, you know, that counterfeit life, uh, a lot, you know, I, I've said this, Tamara, is that you know, counterfeit money will spend. Counterfeit money does spend. Uh, uh, I think that the challenge is knowing that you have a million counterfeit dollars or having one real dollar. Uh, a lot of people will just take the million counterfeit because they know it'll spend. But at some point, they're going to find out that it's worth nothing. It's worthless. And the way that people know that they are, that they are living a counterfeit lifestyle uh, is uh, you, you, uh, if I were to talk uh, to a bank teller, a bank teller will tell you the way that they can tell when they've come across counterfeit money is because they've handled real money so much. They handle real money so much that when they get to something that's not real, they immediately recognize it because they it comes from handling real money. And so 
from having real love and real relationship and real intimacy and real faith and, and all of those real things, now I'm able to recognize when counterfeit comes along and try and help point people also away from the counterfeit towards, you know, our God who is real. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I always coin it in the sense of like, my eyes have been revealed in an empathetic way to watching people. I I haven't ever used it as counterfeit culture, but that's totally what it is. I've always said it just as like, um, almost like the walking dead, right? It's like the, the rat wheel, uh, of busy life. It's the rat wheel of um, a culture where people are just blinded and they're blinded from the light instead of walking in the light. And mm. they want to go the opposite direction because there's a herd mentality of, well, everybody's doing it this way. Everybody gets divorced. So it's no big deal if I just get divorced and then find counterfeit love again, I'll be fine. Mm. They'll be fine. And I love, love, love that your wife, in addition to sacrificing that you did, she sacrificed a lot in order to say, I trust the Holy Spirit. I trust the God within you and not, I don't trust you. That, that statement I just think is so powerful and how she also rose to the occasion and got to not only witness the resurrection of you as the husband, but you as the father and herself in this new identity of love, because Intimacy is a two-way thing. She never got to truly even be with you in the way that she now gets to be with you now, because now she's with all of you rather than just a portion of who you are. Amen. Amen. Right. It's so incredible. So you guys actually, you sacrificed that music business, which so many people know you through and you guys started, this is how we do it. Or you wrote this book. This is how we do it. Making your marriage a master Peace, like peace, joy, love, not peace, like the pieces of something. And I love that play on words. Can you talk me through what that ministry looks like and how you get to show up fully to serve God's kingdom at this point? Absolutely. Well, um, the whole scripture uh, that says that the, uh, the, the, I'm trying to make sure I, I don't just butcher the word of God. I mean, I'm a pastor. <laughs> So I'm trying to do this the the right way. How does the heart their mouth speaks? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit, take over. Yeah, amen. Um, But uh, there's this this idea that um, our our lives are, you know, the, the foolish. There are ways that God can use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So. My wife and I, we are, we are foolish things of the world. Uh, and it doesn't make sense. And I, I've often said this. It doesn't make sense uh, of, for an adulterer uh, in a bigger story, uh, two adulterers, uh, to be doing marriage ministry. Mm-hmm. Like none of, that, none of that makes sense. Yeah. And that's only God could do something like that to take broken pieces and masterpiece kind of came from we believe that our lives are comprised of all these little pieces uh dating job kids significance uh well all the, all those pieces we believe are like this puzzle uh that we all as humans are trying to navigate and put that thing together and it's hard to put together a puzzle when there's a piece missing right uh, and so we have found and we believe that marriage is that masterpiece to that puzzle 
And that when you use that as the masterpiece, you learn how to master peace as in joy and love. And, and so that's where that came from for us that before we thought that it was money that was the piece to the puzzle or fame that was the piece of the puzzle. And then realizing it was really what she and I have together as a married couple reflecting Father, Son, Holy Spirit in our marriage together that becomes the center, the centrifugal piece that then job and, and family and all those other pieces gravitate around that masterpiece. Uh, that's what we believe that God has given us in our testimony, in our lives to be able to share with the world and our experience has been drastic. We've had drastic experiences. We've had infidelity. We've had house fires. We've had bankruptcy. We've had loss of a child. We have almost every imaginable circumstance that couples would be navigating through thinking at the time we were going through it, God, why would you allow our child to die? God, why would you allow our house to burn down. God, we're living for you. We tied. Why would you allow this bankruptcy to take place? And all the while getting these answers from God that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And I'm like, no, it's my kid though. So it kind of is about me. No, this is our finances. This is about me. This is our home. It is about me. Uh, and then later in life to come across people who were who had lost a child and then realize now I get to speak into that and that maybe that wasn't about me, but it was for me to be able to help this person get through the loss of their child. Or after Hurricane Katrina, this family that's lost everything in their business and I just lost my house six months ago and now I recognize, oh, I can look into that man's blank stare of a man who lost everything from the blank stare of a man who lost everything but regained everything in Christ and now be able to speak into his life. And so every tragedy that we've been through, Masterpiece, the book, is literally just us telling all the yucky stuff that happened to us in a digestible format so other people can see themselves and see potentially their way out of or their way into the promises that God has for them from some people that have been bold enough and transparent enough to talk about it. So good and, and totally God aligned because I got connected to you through Clubhouse several several months ago actually and inquired about you coming onto the show and last Friday released my first book called Always Becoming Sex, Shame and Love. And it aligns to this so deeply in so many ways. And uh, it's pretty miraculous to see what God does with obedience, even when it feels really scary, even when it feels like you're sharing all the, the grotesque, right? But the intensity of it is not about you, again, it's not about the shame. It's not about the backstory or any action or lack of action that anybody took in the story. It's all about his glory. And yeah. it's all about his name being manifested in the world for everyone who reads, who doesn't know who he is, or is yearning to understand the full power, the full resurrection power of what he can do in their life.
I see you, sister. The dream is spinning in your soul, calling you forward, and yet the works are taking a toll. Summoned into purpose to reap what he promised. What you desire is noble and honest. Co-laborers needed to level up your fields. Plow, plant, water, harvest to yield. Your vision and growth will manifest. Lay your spirit to rest with all you invest. A fresh season upon you, waiting to flourish, requiring your faith and works to nourish. Are you ready to reap your harvest? The question that I want to follow up with is this understanding of alignment and how this masterpiece, which I truly believe is marriage as well, and it's the bride and the bridegroom. That's literally why he came. That's why Jesus did what he did um, in, in the knowing that it was going to bring together the bride and the bridegroom again in the church to become everything that's intended to be and the veil to be torn. But how do you feel from an alignment space of mind, body, and spirit? What have you been taught or learned about your physicality, your mentality, your spirituality, your emotional being, your intellectual being? How do you put all of those together in that spherical masterpiece? Well, first of all, congratulations on the book. That is so exciting. So exciting. I think there's a beauty in transparency. I think that's what you're doing in, in the book that you've released. I think that's what we're trying to do. And I think that's what draws people to what we're able to say. Uh, and to speak into people's lives. I, I know that there is a, a big difference in nakedness and transparency. Um, every, everybody uh, can't see you naked because they can't handle nakedness uh, because they can see you. Uh, but transparency is see through you. Uh, and so God can can see me in that naked state because that's how he created us in the beginning that we were naked and unashamed. But from that standpoint, now, for others to be able to see us, it's the transparency that then allows them to see God in us and see themselves in us to be able to see through the nakedness to see what the heart, what God has done in, in heart transformation. Oh, in regard to your, your question of alignment, uh, mind, body, spirit, uh, all those different pieces, um, I am now uh, 52. I'll be 53 in December. Uh, my wife just turned half a hundred, uh, and so we're now entering the third the third quarter of our lives, uh, and I feel like we're just getting started. I think that alignment uh, for us is uh, this this idea that some people are trying to figure out how to balance everything, uh, and I don't believe uh, Tamara that everything is supposed to be balanced. I think people things are supposed to be prioritized. And aligned. Uh, in other words, uh, I have uh, a spine and I have vertebrae in my spine. Uh, and I don't need my vertebrae to be balanced. Uh, I don't need them to all be the same. I need them to be aligned where they are supposed to go. And if one of those little things, I'm talking spiritual chiro chiropractic work right so now. So good, I love if, it. <laughs> if, if one of those bones becomes unhinged or if one disc moves above the other, like 
all of that, that's super dangerous because certain things aren't meant to be balanced. Uh, people say, how do you balance your career and your marriage? I don't. My marriage will always come before my career. How do you balance your marriage and parenting? I don't balance it. My marriage will always come above my parenting. And what happens is somebody's watching this right now and they're saying, no, but my kids, this or that or the other, that's why you're unbalanced and you're imbalanced because you don't understand the difference between prioritizing and alignment over balance. Some things are not meant to be balanced. When you balance something, by definition, you are trying to give equal value to something else. I'm trying to balance my marriage and balance my career. I'm trying to say my career is just as important as my marriage. And God looks at that and he says, sir, ma'am, you're out of order. And so when I look at life and I look at alignment, I look at spirituality, I look at physical uh, well-being, I look at mental health and wellness, all those different things, I am now looking to not try and balance everything. I'm trying to prioritize everything so that it can come into alignment so that I can run the race that's set before us, knowing that when things are placed in their proper place, um, I can then have better balance in the overall picture of what life is supposed to look like. So powerful, friend. This is so good. I think as you guys continue in towards your ministry and, and serving, you guys are both now pastoring a church or you're traveling and pastoring? We are traveling and we are pastors. That definition of pastoring uh, is our, our ministry has always kind of been bigger than the four walls of the church. Yep. And I don't have a better way of explaining that. It's we are pastors to the music business. We are pastors to people without churches. We're pastors to people in churches. We're pastors to marriages. We are, that's just who God has called us to be, to be pastors. And we don't have a, a definitive location at this point or a definitive name or, or logo or any of that. It's just right now we are very evangelistic and we go where God sends us. We do marriage conferences. We we do online things. And I don't know if God has purpose for us to to do a church, a a a, a one location or multiple location thing. But uh, I want to be in His will, and I want to be where He desires for us to be as a couple. And I think part of uh, Tamara, if I'm honest, because we don't look like normal church. My wife and I, that's part of the challenge of what does church or what does ministry look like for us because we speak together a lot. Um, this interview would have been a whole lot better if I had her with me because that's, <laughs> you know, we, we because we I'm telling her stories when she could be right here telling those same stories. And there's a power, you know, yeah. to that. Yeah. And so uh, but uh, Marriage Masterpiece right now is kind of our our ministry baby and. We're just trying to get as many people uh, to uh, get a million marriages saved as possible. Uh, people committed to not divorcing and uh, people who are, have been divorced that want to be married again or that are married again to have them committed to uh, to the covenant of marriage. Uh, and that's our starting point where we are right now. So we are pastoring marriages, but we also have lots of people uh, around the world that I think would, would consider us to be pastors as well. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful. And, and really, I believe a call of however you want to say it, but the church in this season, 
you know, we talk about the Esther's verse of for such a time as this, and people drop that all the time, but truly any time is for such a time as this because we're breathing and God still graced yeah. us with another day. And so there is time and that time is the present. And I believe that the four walls of the church were really shaken and they're always being shook. But last year, specifically with COVID, it gave people this new idea that church doesn't necessarily have to fit in four walls. And I don't believe that God ever intended for that to be the case anyway. Otherwise, Jesus would have gone to the same temple every single day. and He didn't. Yeah, he traveled. Yeah. He was all over the map and he brought people with him. And so um, to speak to the fact that he calls the um, those who are, are lame, right? He calls those who are the poor pauper. He calls the people who are trying to live a counterfeit life into his culture, into his church. And he did it with the tax collector and he did it with every single mm -hmm. disciple. They were all imperfect. We're all imperfect. And so for us to go out into the world and allow his glory to be seen, I think is actually more of the call, more of the discipleship concept that needs to happen in the church where you can travel and showcase. Because if it's just for your community and we're churching the church, who are we really helping? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I and and that's so that's so good. And um, I I do believe, you know, I, I believe in the Acts two church where people went from house to house and they shared everything and nobody had any need. Um, I also believe, you know, that we shouldn't forsake the gathering, you know, of saints. Oh, and so I 100%. do believe it's it's important for for us to get together and do community together. Uh, and I I think that, like you said, twenty twenty, uh, when church doors uh, uh were unable to meet, you got to find out that the church is either alive in you and wherever you are, or that you think church is an actual building. And so um, I don't know what that looks like, honestly, in the future moving forward. But uh, I do know that uh, we have a, a big, big, uh, a big mandate on us to help reach the lost. Uh, and there's a, a, a world of people out there who I do want Christians to, I want to enhance them and enable them to have better lives while at the same time, I need to make sure that people who are lost uh, are found. And so I think that is the go and make disciples, not allow them to come and then make disciples once they get here. Somebody got to go. And so, so we that. go. And, you know, I think too, as you were saying that I'm thinking through, you talked about the marriage, you talked about the divorce, you talked about those who are married again, I think there is the concept of obliterating shame, which is so connected to lack of intimacy in marriages, even marriages who have never experienced adultery before. There is a component yeah. of shame that's being carried in from broken sex culture that is being established yeah. because of, you know, sexual traumas, because of uh, pornography, because of addictions, because of a fatherless, you know, nations that were being raised in. And so there is a conversation that has to happen so often, even before marriage, that I feel has not really been instigated. I mean, I don't remember ever having a birds and the bees conversation even about sex. And so it has to start. If we want our intimacy to really be embraced in marriage, we have to get intimate with ourselves and value ourselves before we ever try to give of ourselves to a significant other who we can't even stand naked before ourselves. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that there's a whole component of what you guys are doing that really is to speak to shame and that mission of, of obliterating shame, which is truly my heartbeat. Yeah. I, I I'm a hundred percent. I think that you have people that 
don't know the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, this is what I did. Uh, shame said, this is who I am. Uh, and when you take on something that says, this is who I am, that is a whole different place of feeling guilty about something. But then you then start to take on the persona or the, the effects of because I was abused, therefore I'm abused or I'm damaged or I'm invaluable. No, that happened to you, but that's not you. That's not who you are. It's a a part of who you may have, what you have experienced, but that does not make that who you are. It doesn't make you a victim. So all of those different pieces to the puzzle, definitely uh, we have to kind of redefine intimacy. Uh, My wife and I, uh, we would say that if you were to take, I'm a words guy, words mean everything to me. Uh, and even in uh, taking bits and pieces, if you say the word intimacy um, and you use it as into me see, uh, I want you to be able to uh, into me see God or into me see your spouse. I want to be able to see through you. I want to be able to say into you. I want to be able to have deeper connectivity to you because intimacy isn't just a sexual thing. Intimacy is being able to connect uh, with the spirit uh, and and with the soul as well as with the flesh. And so, yeah, yeah. so powerful. As you were talking, I had the vision of you and your wife actually going nation to nation and actually covering door frames of people's homes like they did on Passover. And just you guys literally coming and it's not even about you having to necessarily go into that intimate space of the house, but just in your presence alone, you're going to be proclaiming his name across the door frames of houses and homes across the world. So I thank you for your ministry. I thank you guys. Received, received (laughs) received right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, And it's a conversation that more people I think are going to step in confidently to be able to secure their identity and not worry about the story that's attached to it. But again, giving him the glory based on him using every single piece for good. And so yeah. what's, what's the next song coming out? When, when's manager and, and Montel coming back to play? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot uh, that we're dreaming of right now. I mean, there's a lot of uh, television commercials. Like I, I currently have a, a general television commercial with Shaquille O'Neal right now that's generating a lot of buzz. Um, I have a desire to do a jazz album. Uh, I have, uh, on, you know, I released it. Yeah, I got the, the hat. Yeah. The, the hat line, uh, so, so there's there's a lot of things that we're that we're dreaming of, and that we're uh, we want to see God. I don't want to leave this earth with anything that God placed inside of me. Uh, not one song, not one idea, not one uh, movie role. Like everything that God placed in me, I want Him to get it out of me, and so that's why we're focused on multiple areas, but still committed to making sure that with God at the forefront of it, if he's not going to get glory from it, then we don't need to have anything to do with it. So any albums, any music, any touring, any speaking, anything that we're doing, we're asking God, do you get glory from us doing this? And then when we find out and he says, you know, I'll kiss that or I'll, I'll put my stamp on that, then that's just the direction that we move. And I've I've learned and I'm still learning and I'm hoping that people maybe around that are watching this also learn that some people can be good at lots of different things. 
you know, there is this, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And I've always thought, you know, well, I'm good a lot of, I'm okay at a lot of different things and not really good at one thing. But I, I don't believe that. I don't believe I have to do just one thing. I, I think I'm very good at mentoring. I think I'm very good at speaking into marriages. I think I'm very good at pastoring. I think I'm very good at loving my wife. I'm very good at spending time with my kids. I'm very good at grandparenting, uh, at big papaing. Uh, I'm I'm very good at create at creating. I'm very good yeah. at songwriting. Yeah. I'm good at a lot of different things. And so I'm I think I'm beyond the fear of man of telling me because I'm good at this, this is the only thing that I should be doing. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't want to be in that box anymore. And I would rather be free to do everything that God has allowed me to do and to see and to experience. Uh, and know that I'm still focused. Oh, I'm, I'm laser focused on whatever the task is before me. Uh, I'm still a leader in that area, but I also recognize that I have been given many gifts to be able to utilize, and I'm selling myself short if I try and do just one thing because people think that's the one thing that you're good at. Yeah, this is so powerful. I just... I am really passionate about faith-driven entrepreneurs and faith-driven leaders. And I just had a conference this past weekend and I, I share this with them and I share it often because I think it's so necessary is to understanding that Jesus never niched or nicheed or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Like he didn't, he didn't do that. Even as a carpenter, even as a learner of the gospels when he was in the temple at 12, right? He was a multitude of things. He was a teacher. He was a brother. He was a steward. He was a speaker. He was a, a laborer. He he was a traveler. He was a nomad. Like he did so many things. Maybe he was a well. liquor store owner. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> Do it. Do it out. Right? So he, he did all these things. And it's the knowing of the, the niche is a, is less about what we do and more about who we are and who we be. And therefore we get to be all of the things because we're made in his image. And when mm -hmm. we're made in his image and he plants a creative spirit, which all of us are creative, no one is excluded from that. You get to bring in people of every genre, every age, every ethnicity, every intellect, anything in order to serve them because that's what he's calling us to do ultimately is to make disciples and so could you, every single person that comes to Montel, are they going to like your jazz music? Maybe not. Or is everyone going to wear your hat? Maybe not. Is everyone going to go to your marriage conference? Maybe not. But think about just in those three genres, how many people you've been able to serve based on the ripple effect, even of your marriage and your music. I think he's frozen. I know that he is receiving this right now in Jesus' name. Wherever he went, he froze up. But I have to say, you guys, this was an amazing podcast. Montel and Kristen Jordan are incredible human beings. I can't wait to connect with them deeper. And I am so honored to have him on the show today. I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hey y'all, it's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you. Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. By snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at fitandfaith_podcast underscore podcast or me personally at tamra.andress on Insta. 
I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. Hello, hello, Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's word, one verse at a time to explore his will for your life and desire to draw closer to him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search your daily Bible verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's word.